half the battle is back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host. And you know, normally we got all kinds of cool guests breaking down the fights with me, but today I'm just going to ride solo and break down UFC CU Falls for all you guys. So here we go, top to bottom, let's do this thing. So we got Devin Clark, he's minus 220, and the comeback on Alex Nicholson is plus 200. Now, Alex Nicholson is uh, what we like to refer to as a jobber, someone that's brought in to lose. And you recall his last fight with Misha Serkinov. He got his job broken to a point where you could actually hear it on the televised broadcast. So anytime that happens to a fighter, definitely look to fade them. But the unfortunate news is that Devin Clark is minus 220. So it's not really playable. With Devin Clark, very good wrestle, uh, wrestler. He's got the credentials. He was on Dana White's looking for a fight. You know that first fight for guys from Dana's show. They're looking to set him up for a win. The only guy that's uh, messed it up so far is uh, that dude that Walt Harris whooped on, uh, Cody East. But in this specific spot, I think Devin Clark will have the athleticism, the wrestling, and all those tools at his disposal. Next up, we got Hani Yaya. He's a plus 120 dog. He's taking on the newcomer, Matthew Lopez, who's minus 130. Now, Matthew Lopez is a good prospect. What can I say? You know, if you look at his record and watch his fights, most of them end within the first round. Now, that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because you love finishers. You want guys that are going to go in there and finish the deal. But it's a bad thing because you don't know how he reacts when he goes past that first round. Now, the one time he has gone to a full uh, three-round fight, it was against a guy that's 0-1. So that doesn't really tell us anything. But as far as what he does in there, very good submission game, likes to stand and bang. Not particularly athletic, but just a, a good uh, serviceable fighter. And with Hani Yaya, I mean, the guy's been in the UFC for a very long time. And for good reason. Very good jujitsu. Even though he shoots from a mile away, and if you have a good sprawl, you can probably counter it. The guy's just relentless with it. And I'll tell you what, his hands have gotten a lot better, too. You watch his fight with Johnny Bedford the second time. And uh, he actually used his hands and surprised Bedford and then ended up uh, finishing the fight. So I'm going to go with Hani Yaya. It's interesting that he's plus 120. I'm not confident enough to bet it just because... With a lot of these uh, newcomers and upcoming guys, you can't really calculate what kinds of improvements they're going to make between the last time you saw them fight and even in their UFC debuts. But I'm going to lean towards Yaya because of that UFC experience, and uh, I think he's going to welcome him to the big show. And next up, we got Scott Holtzman. He's minus 300. The comeback on Cody the Fist Fister is plus 270. Now, you guys are going to laugh. I actually considered making a play on Fister here. But, uh, you know, once you I watched the tape, I was like, yeah, I got a pass. Now, Holtzman, he's built like a brick shit house. He looks like a very good fighter, but you watch him fight, you know, he's not that great. You know, his UFC debut goes in there against Anthony Christodoulou as a minus 1,000 favorite. And uh, it took him till the third round to get him out of there, man. Uh, the under one and a half did not cash in that spot. And with Fister, I mean – He's uh, your tough, relentless grinder. I mean, kind of like a Yaya, except instead of being a jujitsu guy, this kid's a wrestler, you know, always diving on the legs, always trying to get you down on the ground. But the biggest issue is he exerts so much energy, then he gives up his back and gets choked out. That's, uh, that's the story of his losses. He always gets choked out. So in this specific spot, you know, it's a showcase for Holtzman. If Holtzman fucks this up, man, you got you to gotta cut him right away. But I think along the way, he will capitalize and find a way to submit. Cody Fister. Next up, Courtney Casey. She's a plus 140 dog. And Christina Stansu is minus 150. It's interesting. They're kind of like uh, mirror images of each other, except Courtney Casey is a bit bigger. But in terms of their fighting styles, 
They both throw big bombs. They both come to fight, but they both have questionable gas tanks and fight IQ. You guys recall that bet I made on Mehdi Baghdad about a week ago where he fought John McDessey and, you know, he knocks him down. He's going for the finish. He's about to get the kill. And then out of nowhere, he goes for a flying armbar. We're all like, what the hell are you doing, dude? Now with Courtney Casey, she did the exact same thing when she fought Joanne Calderwood. I know it's tough to take on Joanne Calderwood in Scotland on your UFC debut on short notice, but still, she had her rocked. And then she's like, you know what? Instead of following up with some punches and sealing the deal, getting my first UFC victory, I'm going to go for a flying armbar. So whenever fighters do shit like that, I automatically do not bet on them. I bet against them. But with Christina Stansu, you know, she doesn't have the best fight IQ either. She's kind of small for the weight class. Both come to fight. It's going to be a very exciting fight. I'm going to lean towards Casey just because she knows she has to get a victory here. I mean, two losses in a row, one more won't cut it. So I think she's going to get it done here. But, uh, you know, please, please, please do not lay the house on this fight. Just do me a favor, guys. Next up, we got... Sam Alvey, he's minus 250. The comeback on Eric Spicely is plus 230. Now, I put a small bet on Eric Spicely. I like Sam Alvey, very cool guy. But, you know, when we make these bets, it has nothing to do with their personalities, only has to do with finding value and uh, trying to make the right pick. Now, here's the deal with this fight. Sam Alvey can knock out anyone in the UFC 185-pound roster. The, the problem with him is sometimes he decides to not do shit. He likes to circle around that ring, smile at you, be cute, and if you give him the opportunity, he'll crack that big right hand and put you down. But if you fight him smart, you can win. So when I get a plus 230 to fade a guy that's known for not doing anything, a guy that's known for just circling around and staring at you and hoping he can land that big right hand, I got to take the plus 230. Now with Spicely, very good jujitsu. If you watch his fight with Tex Johnson, he full mounted him, you know, all three rounds. One doesn't simply full mount Tex Johnson. Tex Johnson is the guy that set the record for the fastest submission in Bellator history when he tapped out uh, Brennan Ward with that armbar. And uh, Eric Spicely had zero problems full mounting and uh, just dominating position with this guy. So what I think is going to happen here is, Hopefully, you know, to cash this bet, Eric Spicely runs around the ring, maybe throw the occasional kick like Elias did. Just keep Alvy frustrated because Alvy's not the kind of guy that goes out there and attacks you. He's a counterfighter, and even then, he barely does anything either. So if Eric fights smart, get the fight. And if he gets the fight to the ground, it could be over because his top control is no joke. The way he transitions positions, the way he passes guard, the way he sets up his submissions, Spicely is no joke. On the show, what people need to remember is that was at 205 pounds. This guy's a middleweight. So now he's at his natural weight class. Obviously, we got to worry about the UFC debut, the jitters and all that. But look, at plus 230, I actually got it at plus 215, which is fine with me. At plus 230, let's find out if uh, if he can win either you know a bullshit decision where he runs around the ring and pot shots, or let's see if he can show his dominant ground skills here. I like Albie a lot. Very cool dude. I've interviewed him. Once again, this is never personal. And uh, when a guy decides not to fight while he's in the, the UFC's octagon, I'll bet against him. So let's take Spicely here and see what happens. Next up, we got Lauren Murphy. She's minus 185 to come back on. Caitlin Chukagian is plus 170. Now, Lauren Murphy is skilled. You know, she trains at the lab. She's very tough. Her biggest issue is she fights way too close. All her fights, the ones she's won and the ones she's lost, are very, very close. So when you see Caitlin at plus 170, she's making her UFC debut. She trains at Team Edgar. So she's got people like Ricardo Almeida, Henzo Gracie, Mark Henry, 
all those people are on her team. That's a very good sign. Now, when I watched the film, she was a bit green, but she showed me a lot of potential. She's aggressive, you know, with the knees from the clinch. She comes to fight. She's undefeated for a reason. You know, I wouldn't fault you for taking a shot on the dog here because, like I said, Lauren Murphy fights way too close. You don't like betting on these people that fight close and then lose. You know, if you're talking about a guy like Christoph Jocko, I love betting on him because he's a master at winning the close decision, unless he's fighting uh, the barn cat and he knocks him out in under a minute. But for the most part, that dude's a master of winning the close decision. With Lauren Murphy, she's a master at losing the close decision. So, you know, if you get to fade her at plus 170, I don't blame you. Just for me personally, I don't really know what Caitlin's going to come in here with. You know, UFC debut, is it short notice or not? You know, all, all these factors going into it make me want to pass. But from a fantasy perspective, I'll take Caitlin. But I'm not going to count out Lauren here, and I'm going to pass once again. Next up, we got Ben Nguyen. He's minus 120. The comeback on Lewis Smolka is plus 110. Now, I've been looking to fade Ben 10 for a very long time. I mean, if you look back at his career and watch some of his old fights, the dude's been knocked out more than once. But you know what? I got a lot of respect for him because when people get knocked out more than once, you know, they can decide, hey, man, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I need to retire. But for him, he put his head down. He grinded. I believe he's on an eight-fight win streak, and he made it to the UFC. So all props to Ben. But even in those performances, yeah, he has been putting dudes away in the first round. But, man, he's open to those left-hook counters. He uh, he keeps his hands down when he charges. When you're fighting a tall and long guy for the division like Louis Smolka, that's not going to bode well. And with Smolka – I mean, he's so goddamn tough. You watch that fight with Patty Houlihan, main event in Ireland. He's fighting an Irish dude in Ireland in the main event, you know, and he finds himself in side control bottom 10 seconds into the fight. A lot of people would have freaked out there, but not Lewis. He kept his composure. He even went for that uh, that that uh, darts choke from side control bottom that Mitch Clark hit on Iaquinta and that Chaskelly tried to go for on Kevin Souza. So Lewis Smolka on the ground, super scrambly, and on the feet, you know, he's very underrated. He'll He's one of these guys that will kick your legs ten times in a row just to see what you'll do about it. The long-range strikes, you know, he's training uh, at Legacy Muay Thai with uh, – what the hell is the name of their coach? Ivan Flores. That guy's a complete badass. He's got Max there with him. He's got Yancey with him. He's in good hands here. And also, we got to factor in the flight from Australia to Sioux Falls. I know that Ben was initially born in Sioux Falls, but, I mean, the dude lives in Australia. And you cannot underestimate the jet lag because, for example, look at Jake Matthews the other day when he fought Kevin Lee. You know, if that was in Australia, maybe Jake Matthews would have had a better, you know, a better result. But – I really think the flight took a lot out of him, man. You know, that wasn't the Jake Matthews we're used to. He was sluggish, slow. He was the jet lag for sure. So if uh, Ben Ten's coming out here, you know, uh, too, uh, not, not too far in advance, he could be feeling the jet lag too. However, regardless of the jet lag, if this was in Australia, I'd still pick Lewis Smoker. You know, he actually uh, kicked uh, Richie Bass's face off in Australia. So the, the kid's experience. But in this spot, man, I just see uh, – I see Lewis doing his thing. So I put a one-unit bet on him. Let's see what happens. May the best man win. Next up, we got Kyle Noak. He's minus 160. The comeback on Keita Nakamura is plus 150. Now, you guys already know the deal. I always fade Kyle Noak. You got to, right? He's a cool dude, though. Again, this has nothing to do with him as a person. You know, he's the former crocodile hunter, a bodyguard. I mean, how could you not respect the guy? Super cool dude. But, uh, you know, He's an aging competitor on his way out of the game. A lot of people thought he lost that fight to Jonathan Webb. 
interestingly enough, a lot of people thought he got robbed when he fought Alex Morano. But if you go back and you watch that fight, Alex Morano for sure won that fight. One guy was busting up the other guy, and it wasn't Noak busting up Morano. Morano was busting up Noak. So he definitely won that fight. And, I mean, obviously he lost to Patrick Cote. I mean, look, no disrespect. The guy's a badass. That front kick he landed to Peter Sabata, holy shit. You don't just knock someone down with a front kick to the body. And that's what he did. So Kyle Noak's a badass. But with Nakamura, consistently underrated. That first fight with uh, Li Jingliang, you know, what people remember from that fight is he was getting his ass whooped, and then out of nowhere he choked him out. But you go back and you watch that fight, Lee, um, Nakamura actually dropped Li Jingliang in the first round. So he wins the first round. He loses the second round. It's crunch time. And in crunch time, you need to finish the fight. And those are the guys I love to bet on. So what did he do when it was one-to-one going to the third? He finished the fight with a very slick transition, the way he took his back and choked him unconscious. And as you saw by Li Jingliang's last fight, that kid's no joke. So that was Nakamura's uh, first fight in the UFC from his return. I know he fought back in the day, but I'm not even going to count all that. So he makes his return against uh, Li Jingliang, chokes him unconscious in the third round, and then he gets the, the tall order of fighting Tom Breeze in England, okay? He's a plus 800 dog. Tom Breeze is minus 1,000. Everyone's saying Nakamura's going to get finished in the first round. And then he goes out there and arguably beats Tom Breeze. The grappling exchanges were very close. So and for my money, Keita Nakamura has conducted himself very professionally inside the UFC's octagon. And I'm going to take a shot on him here at plus 155. I think that uh, he's got the tools to beat Kyle Nook. I'm not really too worried about the jet lag because – you know, he went to England and, and performed fine against Tom Breeze, who we all think is a super prospect. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that gamble here and put one unit on Keita Nakamura. Next up, we got Alexi the Boa Constrictor Olenek. He's minus 192. The comeback on Daniel Milanchuk is plus 177. You know, Alexi's been around the game a long time. This is a guy that fought Chael Sonnen back in the day. You know, he should be a middleweight, but... He's been finding success at, at heavyweight. And when you go out there and you knock out a guy like Jared Rochal, I'm automatically a fan of yours. The, the biggest issue here is, you know, he hasn't fought since 2014. A lot has changed in the sport since then. You, got, you guys know what I mean. Now, with Daniel Milanchuk, very underwhelming heavyweight. He's one of the he, – he's the, you know, our buddy Brad likes to talk about the fatty's going to fatty. Daniel Milanchuk's the poster boy for that, you know clinch you up against the fence, wear out the clock, throw occasional strikes. Very boring heavyweight. My issue here is the layoff for Alexi. If Alexi comes in here 100%, he's got the shit in the bag. He's going to either take down a Milanchuk, which we know a Milanchuk has very bad takedown defense. When you lose to guys like Anthony Hamilton, you know you're at the lower end of the UFC heavyweight division, but somehow he's made it this far. He's stuck around. So props to him. Let's see if he can rise to the occasion. At the end of the day, I do think Alexi's skills are going to pay off. But the reason I'm staying away from a bet, aside from the price, is the fact that, you know, he hasn't fought since, uh, I believe, since Edgar fought Swanson. That's how long ago it's been since Alexi has fought. So let's just sit back as, as fans and uh, see what they got. You know what I mean? Next up, we got Josh Saman. He's minus 210. The comeback on Tim Bosch is plus 190. Now, this is hilarious. So... One of the books I used, you know, one of them, they had this line on Josh Saman inside the distance at plus 280. Now, I didn't even check what the Tim Bosch inside the distance line was because I could care less. You know what I mean? But I saw plus 280 on it. I was like, dude, I'm going to play that. So I played that. 
And then a bunch of people uh, tweeted at me and they're like, dude, that's a, that's a wrong line. I was like, really, you sure? So then I went back and I, I checked what the Tim Bush inside the distance line was. I was like, oh, fuck, you, you, got, you guys got me there. You guys are right about that. So my so man inside the distance bet got canceled. I believe now it's at like plus 100. So, you know, I do think some man's gonna finish Bush, but at plus 100, there's not enough value to justify it. It's just one of those situations where, you know, the vets coming in and taking up the young, up and coming prospect who has been looking really damn good. I know he lost to Tamden McCrory, but you know, that was a, a game plan issue. You don't initiate the grappling exchanges with Tamden McCrory. You go out there and stand and bang with him. So, I mean, chances are maybe some man can come out here and fight like an idiot against Bosch, but I think Bosch is to the point of his career where it, it's almost over, dude. I mean, look, so he got a, he got fucking flatlined by Dan Henderson in about 20 seconds. And he's like, look, I'm going to go up to 205. Now, I don't believe it was one of those situations where the weight cut was too tough or anything like that. I think it might have been a little bit of a, a lazy motivation issue. So he goes up to 205, fights Ed Herman, gets knocked out again. So uh, shit's not looking good for him. With Josh Saman, he had that one setback to McCrory, but it's the kind of setback, you know, you learn your craft, you come back, you evolve, you reassess, and you, you, you become a better fighter. I believe that was the situation with Saman. He's going to go out here and make a statement. Now, people are asking me, well, are you going to play the KO prop? Are you going to play the submission prop? I don't know because, look, I can see him KOing Tim Bosch, but I could also see him dropping him with a punch or a kick, taking his back and choking him out. So, you know, when you play these uh, KO or sub prop, the specific props, it, it's really tough, man, because there's guys like Cowboy Cerrone, even guys like Joe Duffy the other day who drop their opponents and then and then finish them with a submission. So if anything, play Josh the man in, inside the distance. But the thing is, what if Bosch is a sharp player here? What if Bosch goes out there and knocks him out? I just don't see it happening, man. I see some man taking care of business here. So some man for the victory. Next up, we got Tony El Cucuy Ferguson. He's minus 705. The comeback on Landon Venata is plus 570. Now, I'll, I'll tell you guys this. Landon Venata is no slouch. He comes to fight, and he hits very hard. The biggest issue is not just his UFC debut, not just the fact that he's taking on a top five lightweight on two weeks short notice. I mean, look, the kid's a featherweight, but he's got power in his hands. You watch Landon Venata's fights. He's one of these guys that hits so hard. He'll hit you right on the chin. There'll, there will be a delayed reaction, and then his opponents go unconscious. He's that kind of dude. And with Tony, I mean, you guys know the deal. He'll roll for knee bars from, from standing up. He'll uh, run at you with his hands down and just throw big bombs. And people are like, well, why doesn't he get countered? Hey, he went in there against the best striker in the division and Edson Barboza with his hands down, and he's throwing big bombs, and he was perfectly fine. He had to eat a couple shots, but at the end of the day, he was good to go, man. He's going to be good to go here. You know, I played the under one and a half when it opened because it was at plus money. Now the over one and a half is at plus money. So honestly, if you want to fade me here, you know, we can go me versus you. Let's see who's right. It's just that with with this under, here's my justification. You know, people look at it as can crushing. I, I don't view it like that. I see this as a very wild fight because Landon Venata's fights, if you watch him, I mean, the kid comes to fight. He's a brawler. He's also got good wrestling. With Tony, he comes to fight. He's also a brawler. He's also got good wrestling. He's transitioning. I mean, the way he'll snap you down to that darts choke, why doesn't simply go for a standing darts choke? That's what he did against Castillo. A lot of people criticize him for that performance, but uh, in my opinion, he clearly won that fight. Look, when you're going for standing darts chokes and you're being super cocky and you're just fucking around like he did in that fight and 
Danny Castillo didn't do a damn thing. Tony Ferguson won that fight, but he said he's never going to do that again. He's never going to play around like that again. And and you've seen in his fights with uh, Edson Barboza, his fight with Glayson Tebow, his fight with Josh Thompson, he's been taking these guys to school. Now, with Ferguson and Barboza, it, the under one and a half almost hit. I think it was off by like 10, 13 seconds. I'm going to say that Barboza is a little bit more durable than Landon Venata, and that's no disrespect. Landon's going to have a great career and a great future at 145 pounds. But in this specific spot, Tony Ferguson's either going to snap down to that uh, to that Dars choke, maybe catch him with a punch. But look, if Tony Ferguson eats a big punch and goes down within the first uh, round and a half, I still cash. So someone get finished in the first round and a half for me. But if you guys are looking to fade me here, best of luck to you. May the best man win. Now, next up, we got John Hands of Stone Lineker. John motherfucking Lineker. He's minus 160. The comeback on Michael Mayday McDonald is plus 150. This is a hell of a fight. I mean, come on. When, when, anytime you got John Lineker in there or Michael Mayday, you know it's going to be fireworks. These two are going to throw down until one guy falls. Now, my biggest question was, so you guys remember when John Lineker fought Rob Font in Brazil? And you know the regulations in Brazil are a little bit different, right? So uh, so John Lineker weighs in in Brazil, and he's ripped out of his fucking mind. Best physique we've ever seen him in. I was like, damn, yeah, you're in Brazil for sure. So my biggest question was, all right, what's going to happen when he comes over to the States? Is he still going to be as big and ripped, or is, there gonna be, uh, is he going to be looking a little soft around the midsection, as uh, Connor would say? And I'll tell you what, I just saw the weigh-ins right now. John Lineker looked ripped out of his mind. So he's ready to go. The deal with Michael McDonald is, I mean, dude, his hand speed is ridiculous. Obviously, he's bigger than Lineker, but Lineker's never had a problem closing the distance on taller men. You go back to UFC Fight Pass, type in John Lineker, watch the first fight they have of him where he's taking on this dude that's like six foot two in like a boxing ring, like in some league back in Brazil. It's from back in the day. Dude, that shit was amazing. So he can handle the taller opponent perfectly fine. It's just a matter of uh, – it could be a matter of who lands first, but also I think the body work of Lineker will play its toll on Michael McDonald. One thing I noticed from Mayday, if you watch that fight with Pickett, is so he comes out, guns ablaze in that first round. He actually kind of slows down a little bit towards uh, the second round. You know, what happened with Pickett was people only remember – the big exchanges where, you know, Michael McDonald's throwing these bombs, then he goes down to one knee and is still throwing bombs. But they don't remember that his output actually waned a little bit towards the end of that first round. He got taken down by Pickett, and then he caught him with that triangle choke. Now, Lineker's actually been caught with submissions, you know, uh, from people off their back before. Our boy uh, Felipe Aranches caught him with an armbar. And you know Felipe's sneaky with those armbars, as you saw in his fight with Yusha Buen and with Gerard Sanders. So, Lineker could get caught, you know, uh, from the from the top position on bottom. Excuse me, from the top position on the ground. I just don't see that happening. I see these two coming in and uh, trying to trade with each other. Now, another thing, people criticize Mayday's performance against Kanahara, but look, Kanahara is a fucking grappler. Kanahara wanted nothing to do with the stand-up exchange. It's such a different matchup. And also, if you watch that fight, the first ten seconds. May they landed a beautiful straight right, but it's going to take more than one beautiful straight right to put away a guy like John Lineker. You know, I faded Lineker in his last fight against Rob Font, which was obviously a very dumb play because I thought that Rob Font would be able to run around the ring, pot shot, keep the little man at bay, and that didn't work at all. With McDonald, he's not a pot shotter. He's a heavy hitter. Both these guys are heavy hitters. So with five rounds, that leads me to believe that someone's getting knocked out 
unless one guy turns into a panic wrestler, which they are not known for. So at the end of the day, man, I think Winokur will knock out Mayday. But uh, I'm not betting on it. Obviously, it's that minus uh, 170 area I, I stay away from. And it's the kind of fight where when you throw four-ounce leather, you throw those gloves at each other, and you're just standing in the middle of the octagon trading, any guy can go down. It doesn't matter who you are. You guys remember at the end of Chuck Liddell's career, the guy you could once hit in the face with a baseball bat, now he's starting to go down from a, a broken hand from Rich Franklin. You know, anyone can go down in this game. I believe uh, Mayday will go down, but I'm not going to count him out, man, because his hand speed is second to none, but he does have a lot of hand injuries. He always breaks his hand. John Lineker's got a hard head. Maybe uh, Mayday breaks his hand trying to punch Lineker. At the end of the day, I think the accumulation of the body work will add up, and then he'll mix it up to the head with a big left hook and put down Mayday. So my pick is John Lineker. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, look, obviously the fight to watch is the main event. I, I don't like to be lame and say, oh, the fight to watch is the main event, but it really is. Anytime you get John Lineker and Michael McDonald in a fight, and now we're talking against each other for 25 minutes uh, scheduled, that is your fight to watch. As far as the fighter to watch, I'm going to go with Lewis Smolka. Look, this kid has made a statement in the UFC. His last fight, he headlined. He beat an Irishman in Ireland. Not only did he beat him, he finished him. He knows what it's like to go to enemy territory and beat the hometown guys. With Ben Nguyen, great fighter. He's shown nothing but brilliance inside the octagon. Those first-round finishes, I think Lewis Smolka is about to make a statement here, and therefore, he is your fighter to watch. Now, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to join me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been a pleasure. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Make sure you enjoy the fights. Hit me up on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Best of luck, and enjoy the fights.